God's people said. Yeah, and all God's people said, sit down. You sound good. Someone came up to me and said, see that little boy sitting in front of you and, or behind you and said he's got earplugs. And he said the reason he wears earplugs is because he's heard you sing. So surely he was teasing. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you're here today, gang. I want you to take your Bible with me and turn with me to Revelation chapter 3, okay? Revelation chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at the last letter that Jesus emailed to a church. And let me just tell you, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty challenging letter out of all of the letters because of the condition of the church. Out of all the letters that Jesus wrote, this is the hardest, okay? It's the harshest. Um, I uh, told our first service that before my wife and I generally go anywhere, she always looks at me and she says, have you buckled up your seatbelt? And she won't let me drive out of the driveway without putting my seatbelt on. Of course, nowadays they got these ding, 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 you know, and so you got to do it or it drives you crazy. But Paul always makes me uh, click on the seatbelt. And uh, dear church, uh, today, I want to say to you before we begin, okay, um, tough letter, strap on your seatbelt, click it on, because the Lord Jesus has some very, very hard words, might even uh, be harsh words uh, for the church, okay? Let me just kind of tell you, the, the courier now has pretty much made a semicircle. He's about 90 to 100 uh, miles east of Ephesians, uh, Ephesus, where he started. He uh, has just been taking letters, dropping them off. And he comes to the church at Laodicea. And I, I guess out of all the churches, this church was in worse shape than any of them. That's why Jesus has the harshest words for them all, okay? In one of the commentaries I read, One of the commentators who uh, many of you would recognize the name if you're a student, uh, one of the most respected Bible scholars of today, calls Laodicea the apostate church. He says the whole church was lost, okay? Now, let me just tell you, gang, I don't don't think that. I I wouldn't argue and I wouldn't debate him, okay? But I, I don't think that there's some verses in here that lead me to believe that, that the church was, some at least in the church, was, was regenerated, redeemed. However, the Lord Jesus, without a doubt, has some real issues with his church here. In fact, this church at Laodicea makes him sick. And he's ready to spit her out. And he has some very, very strong words, okay? Out of all the letters... Jesus uses more terms to address the local community than any of the rest. We're going to talk about some of the issues of water that he addresses. To me, the the main heart of the letter has to do with with, uh, their lack of good water. And in that area of the world, water's a premium, so they would understand. And hopefully, when we talk about it, we'll be able to understand a little bit. He's going to address areas of wealth. Again, we have uh, at least the second church in this whole series of churches that had uh, very strong banks and a very wealthy community. And it led to their idea of self-security. And I have to tell you, Jesus addresses it straight up. So we're going to talk a little bit about wealth. He's going to talk about clothing. It was known for its clothing. And uh, Jesus is going to use an analogy there of clothing and uh, being dressed to the finest and yet being naked inside of your heart. He's going to talk about medicine. Laodicea was known for their medicine. And Jesus is going to use all of these terms to bring a very stringy, uh, striking indictment against the church. Okay, and I'll try to bring all of those out. Now let me, uh, before we read the passage, let me remind you that, that when I was a child growing up, most of the pastors said these letters represent times of age in the church age. I think I mentioned that to you last week, right? And so when I was growing, even some today hold to that, not as prevalent today as it was when I was a kid a couple years ago, okay? 
But let me tell you, those who hold to that say that this is the church that represents the time of the church age right before Jesus Christ returns. Now, gang, I'm going to tell you, I, I don't know about that. I'm not smart enough to know. I don't really buy into that. I don't buy into this age thing, this dispensation thing of age, okay? But this thing, I, one thing I do know is that this church was in real, real trouble. And if out of all of the letters, I said last week to you, I love Philadelphia, man, that's what I want our church to be. But when you look at the churches in the United States of America, maybe not over the world, but at least when you look at the churches in the United States of America, the church at Laodicea connects better than all the churches. And so, gang, let me just tell you up front, we've got some tough stuff today, okay? But all is not lost because we're going to see that those he loves, he reproves. Those he loves, he disciplines. And he does it so that they will repent, humbly come before God and repent. And that's how we're going to close this striking, challenging, uh, intimidating letter. I, as we were singing and worshiping, I, I, I felt the pressure of this message. And I said, you know, it'd be a great time for the rapture, you know. It'd be a great time for uh, the church to be plucked out of this culture in which we live. In our first service, the guy that, uh, that took the offering, Perry Pruitt, prayed. And in his prayer, he said, you know, God, I'm just so thankful that, that our pastor loves us and we love him. And, and I stood up and said, well, after this sermon, uh, I hope they say he still loves us. In fact, I had told Don, I said, when I get through with this letter, uh, I may need to freshen up my resume uh, I could get fired. It's that tough of a letter, gang, you know, and so you're not going to go out of here unscathed. Uh, just remember to unclip the seatbelt before you go, all right? Well, let's stand in honor of God's Word, and why don't we read the passage, and, and then we'll, we'll work through it as best we can, okay? Revelation chapter 3, and I want us to begin reading verse 14, okay? To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the Amen the faithful and true witness. The beginning of the creation of God says this, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Gang, Jesus, the Lord of the church, is saying this to one of his churches. Hmm? Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have no need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I advise you, by the way, he doesn't command them. The word advise is a, I, I'm commending you, I'm encouraging you. It's, it doesn't carry the force of begging, but he's saying, I'm saying to you, you might ought to consider this, because it's that important to you, okay? I advise you, to buy from me gold refined by fire, that you may become rich. You think you're rich, but you're not, is what he's saying. And white garments, that you may clothe yourself, and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. They're wa walking about in some of the finest clothing the world at that time could ever know. And he says, you're naked. And I sad. To anoint your eyes so that you may see. And then 19 and 20, which really affirms to me 
that while the church probably had a lot of lost people and while the church was in real trouble and Jesus was about to vomit them out, 19 and 20 warms my heart. To those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, he says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'm going to come into him and will, if your translation says sup, mine has dine. The idea is to have an evening fellowship meal with. And then he says with him and he with me. And then he wraps it up, he who overcomes. I will grant to him to sit down with me on the throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. And then he says, if you got an ear, listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. That's plural. I think that draws us into the letter. What the Spirit says to the churches. Well, Father, uh, I don't know how my faith family feels about this study. I have to tell you, it's been impacting in my life. It's challenged me. It's caused me to evaluate my life and my leadership. It's caused me to evaluate our church and our ministry and our community. And Lord, this letter is perhaps the most challenging to my spirit. I would hate to think that the people I dearly love and the church that I dearly love would even remotely be turned off by you, so much so that you would spit us out, vomit us up. God, we do not want that. And so today as we explore and dig some of your truths, God, may we really do an evaluation personally in our lives and may we be willing to do an evaluation in this faith family that we call Indian Springs Baptist Church. Now, Father, for any good to come, for any understanding to take place, for anointing to happen to the preacher, then it has to be through the work of your Holy Spirit. We invite your Holy Spirit right now to capture our hearts, capture the preacher's mouth and heart and mind, that we may expound the truth of Scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, gang. Be seated, okay? Let me, uh, I want to I begin maybe with a, with a sidebar or maybe what, you would call chase a rabbit, we preachers call a theological point, okay? Churches tend to go like society goes. If you've lived 30, 40, 45, 50 years or longer, you've seen the change in culture. It would go this direction for a while, then it would change for this direction for a while, this direction for a while. You know what I'm talking about? I, I'll give you an example. When I got married, what was in style was black horn rimmed glasses. Well, if I'd have kept, I should have kept them. Because after being married 41 years, guess what's coming back? Black horn rimmed glasses, right? Society goes through fads. We don't like to use the word fad for a church. I don't like to say churches go through fads. The fact of the matter is churches go through fads. There'll be the, the music fad. There'll be the drama fad. There'll be the video fad. There'll be you name it. We go through it, okay? And the thing about a fad is it doesn't last long, and it changes. But if a church is going to be a church, and if a church is going to be blessed of the Lord, then a church must stay true to one thing and one thing only through a period of time, beloved, and that is faithful teaching and preaching of God's Word. Now, we don't like sometimes some of the preaching we hear. We don't like some of the scriptures that we dig out. 
But what I'm telling you is this, that I've learned it over the years. The fads can come and go, but the Word of God never changes. And we who belong to God's church must stay true to the Word even when the Word challenges us to the very core. This is a challenging lesson. But if we stay true to God's word with it, you're going to leave challenged, but you're going to leave a better people. Now let me give you some, 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 some of the general statements, then we'll, we'll dig in, okay? The one thing we can say for sure about the church at Laodicea was that this church had a major heart problem. I said in the introduction of the whole series, wholeheartedness was their challenge. They had a total distortion from reality. They needed a reality check. Because what they thought about themselves, how they evaluated themselves, was totally and radically different than what Jesus saw in their lives. And that's not uncommon, gang. For you to be humble and broken before God, you've got to get on Jesus' terms. You've got to see your life and your church by extension as Jesus sees your life and your church. They were self-confident. They were self-reliant. They had banks. They were self-sufficient, which led to them being self-serving. They thought they were wealthy and rich and needing nothing, like so many churches today. They were caught up in the health and wealth and the feel-good movement. But Jesus cuts through all of that. He bores his eyes deep into their soul. And Jesus says, you're wretched. You're miserable. You're poor and blind and naked. They thought they were God-blessed. Imagine that. They thought they were blessed of the Lord. But they made Jesus sick to his stomach. And Jesus was about to vomit them out. And the stinging, if you look at this verse 15, the stinging indictment is that they were lukewarm. Lukewarm. Now listen, gang, there's nothing better in the morning than a hot cup of coffee, right? Nothing worse than a teapot or lukewarm cup of coffee. Nothing better in the evening than an ice-cold glass of, of sugar, Iced tea, huh? Nothing worse than a warm cup of tea. One of the greatest challenges facing this church, and I believe one of the greatest challenges facing every church, especially in America, is the challenge of being lukewarm, lukewarmness. Lukewarm hearts, indifferent attitudes to the things of God, marginal commitment. Critical views. These things make Jesus sick. And these things kill churches. Let me ask you some questions. Would you like to have a lukewarm doctor? How many of you had bypass surgery? Well, we're pretty healthy. Bill, you had, you had bypass. How would you like to come into your doctor and he said, Oh, Bill, it's no big deal, you know, it's okay. Um, now, where do I cut that hole? I mean, you want a doctor like that? You want a, you want a lukewarm dentist? Uh, the, 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 what? Uh, the, the, the. Son, I can't. Come back when you, when you can talk. Wayne, where's Wayne? Wayne? You knew this was coming anyway. Wayne's my eye doctor. Okay. What if I went into Wayne? And I said, Wayne, I, I'm having trouble. I just can't see. He said, that ain't a big deal. I know I can't see. Just squint, Tom. You'll be okay. I mean, do you want an eye doctor? Do you want parents? Do you want it? We have some of the finest public school teachers and administrators in all of Saline County. I said that because I want them on my team, okay? But we do. Now, parents, let me ask you. Do you want a lukewarm, indifferent, mediocre teacher? No, you don't. You want the best teacher 
and the whole school system to help you raise your little boy, your little girl. You want good Sunday school teachers, don't you? You want good Awana leaders, don't you? You want good youth teachers, don't you? You want good Sunday school leaders, deacons, don't you? And yet it seems that while in the world we wouldn't accept a bad teacher or a dentist or an eye doctor, it seems that when it comes to the commitment to the church, it's okay to be indifferent. We'll even try to justify ourselves. You know, Tom, preacher, Sunday's the only day I got off. It's the only time I can spend with my family. Tom, there's nothing I can do about it, but you know, baseball is played now on just like any other day. And we wouldn't dare go to a doctor that has that kind of attitude. We wouldn't dare go to a dentist or an eye doctor with that kind of attitude. And yet we accept that attitude in God's church. The very one who is Lord of the church who sacrificed and bled on a cross for the sin of the church. And we try to justify that. That's why some theologians call this church the church of the damned. The apostate church. The church that is lost. Do you know that in this letter we just read, there's no commendation at all. Gang, there's no encouragement at all. There is not one, not even a few, that are said to be faithful to the cause of Christ. We would dare not accept lukewarmness in certain areas of our life. But in the church, the bride of Christ, the very best thing going, we do. And we just simply say that it's normal church. And I want to tell you, you're wrong if you think that. I say that to you. you know, I love you. Remember the guy in the first service said that. I love you. But if you have that kind of attitude when it comes to the things of Christ, when you have that kind of attitude when it comes to the bride of Christ, if you have that kind of attitude to the one who hung and bled, we sung about the blood, then I say to you, dear daddy and dear mommy, I say to you, dear sir and dear lady, I say to you, young person, you're wrong. You're wrong. And Jesus in the letter says, that turns my stomach. Well, let's dig it out. I'm gonna, I want to handle the text with three questions that I, I hope I can answer. Okay, look with me in verse 14. First question that I, I want to deal with is, who is Jesus? Notice in verse 14, he gives us a threefold description. He begins with the word amen. Do you see that there? The amen. Now, in the Old Testament and New Testament, we find the word amen used regularly. Both old and new, it's a word which means this is true. This is certain. What is said is valid. It's, it's, it's binding. Sometimes I grew up hearing preachers say when the word amen was used, they would say, so be it. That's just the way it is. In other words, Jesus says, I am the final say on this matter, regardless of your ideas, regardless of your philosophy and your arguments and your thoughts. I am the reality. This church needed a reality check. Jesus says, I'm the reality check. What I say is the amen. And then notice he says, faithful and true witness, not just is he the reality check? But he says, I'm reliable. What I say is perfectly true. It's accurate. Laodicea, you may be unfaithful, but I'm always faithful and true to my word. Pay attention. And then he says, the beginning of the creation of God. And, and I think I, I need to explain that. The word beginning, you see that word beginning? If you're a, a Bible scribbler, I would circle the word beginning. Because in the English, English, it's a little ambiguous. The word beginning is the word archaic, and it means source or origin. Okay, And so what Jesus is saying is, I'm the source of all of creation, and he who creates 
has authority over whom or what he creates. And that's the idea that Jesus is presenting here. When you forget, listen, when you forget that Jesus is the source, when you forget that Jesus is the originator, that it all begins with him and the last thing that ends with him, when you forget that truth, then you have lost the fear of God. And when you lose the fear of God, then, then Jesus just becomes regulated to one of many different things in your life. And when he becomes one of many different things in your life, dear people, that's when lukewarmness, indifference, begins to take over your life. You begin to meander through your Christian experience and your Christian walk. He's no longer the main thing. And when he's no longer the main thing, then you're living on borrowed time. You're living very dangerously. And that's why he said, I'm about ready to spit you out. Okay? Who is Jesus? The Amen, faithful and true witness, the source of creation of God. All right? Question number two, verses 15 through 18. What does he say? Okay? Let me run through these some phrases pretty quickly with you. I've already talked about being lukewarm. Let me, let me give, paint the picture for you, okay? Laodicea was part of a, of a, of a tri, called a tri-city area. There was three towns relatively close to Laodicea, okay? Colossae, which you may know about, there's a letter in the book of the New Testament written to the church at Colossae called Colossians. Colossae was 10 miles to the east. Colossae was known for a cold, refreshing spring. There was another town called Heropolis, which was six miles to the north, and Heropolis was known for her hot and healing springs. So we have a town 10 miles that's cold and refreshing. We have another town that's six miles that brings hot, and you've been to hot springs, supposedly the hot springs bring healing. I've been up there, all it does make me hot, but they say it works, you know. What's interesting is Laodicea didn't have any water. Water was a premium back then in that part of the world, still is. Laodicea had no water supply of her own. She got her water from one of these two other towns, and they built aqueducts. And so the, through the aqueducts, the water would come to Laodicea. The problem was that whether it's hot or cold, by the time it came to Laodicea, the water was unfit to drink. It was lukewarm. It was dirty, it was unhealthy, and it was unfit to drink. Have you ever, you, hey, do you remember the commercial on TV where the lady's sitting in the kitchen and the man bops in, you know, like he owns the world, he flies open the, the refrigerator, he gets a gallon of milk, and he just picks it up and starts draining it, and then he goes, spits it all out, and she's, oh yeah, the refrigerator's broken, you know. Have you ever had anything lukewarm? I mean, you talk about a turnoff, you know? And, and, and that's what's happening. By the time the water got to Laodicea, it was unfit to drink. They knew, listen, they knew what Jesus was saying about the church. They knew that Jesus was saying she was worthless. And she was about to be spit out of Jesus' mouth. God forbid, huh? God forbid that Indian Springs should ever be spit out of the mouth of the Lord Jesus because we just meander through. We're just lukewarm as believers and followers of Christ. You see, I think the analogy here is this. Hot means passion. It means that you're on fire for God. That there's something about the things of Christ that makes you want to sell out. And there's a passion that must drive the people of God for the things of God in a community that desperately needs the gospel of God. The cold refreshing brings healing, brings refreshing, brings coolness, cooling down. Jesus said, I wish you were passionate. I wish you were refreshing. He says, you're neither. You're neither. And you make me sick. Now before I go on, I told you it's going to get hot in here. 
Where do you fit in here? I mean, either you're hot, you're cold, or you're lukewarm. I don't expect you to raise your hand and say, I'm lukewarm, you know. But I think maybe you ought to ask yourself, am I meandering? Am I just floating through? Or is Jesus really the Lord of my life? Next phrase is rich and wealthy and, and need nothing. Laodicea was known for her banks. Very wealthy town. Commerce and all that stuff drove it. You'll see by the next two examples. Why? She had a false sense of security. Gang, she had everything that money could buy. But listen, money cannot buy what the soul needs. You see, the deepest needs of a man go beyond what the banks hold. And Jesus said, buy gold refined by fire. What Jesus was saying, you need to go get what only I can give you. And what only I can give you comes from, not from works, not by wealth. It comes through the means of grace. And you desperately need my grace. Third phrase, white garments. I've already mentioned to you that Laodicea was known for its really black, expensive wool. They had, the, the, the sheep, they had special breeding. And in Laodicea, the, the, the end thing all over the known world was to wear black that came from Laodicea. It would be, uh, it would be on the GQ magazine, you know, and it would be on everything. Man, look at, hey, there goes Stu. Hey, Laodicean wool, you know. The guy's hip. He's in with the in crowd. I better not sing a boil plug of his ears, right? And so they thought, man, this is it. But Jesus said, huh, you're naked. Your shame is obvious. You need to buy white garments. By the way, that's why something, the whole church was lost. Because white garments are a sign of salvation, see. And certainly there was a good number. How many here? I don't know. How many on the rolls? I don't know that. But that's some of the terms, see. And then I salve is the next little phrase he talks about. Laodicea was also known for taking what they call Phrygian powder, and they would compound it, and they would make it into a salve. And they would take the salve, and they would put it on their eyes, and the salve helped people see. And Jesus says, you don't need that kind of salve. You need the salve that comes from me. Because you're blind. Now, beloved, when you, when you study Scripture, especially the symbolism in, scriptures, in Scripture, you find that there's some common symbols that are used to describe lost people. Uh, poverty is used to describe those who are lost. Sin is bankruptcy, you see. They were a bankrupt church. Lends to the idea they were all lost. Okay? Nakedness. You say you're clothed with the finest. You're naked. What is nakedness? It's shame. Sin is shame. You remember in the garden when Adam sinned? Guys, Adam, not Eve. I know you want to blame it on your wife. But it was Adam, the Bible says. Remember what they did? They immediately went and got some fig leaves. Why did they do that? To cover up their nakedness. Why? Because they said we were ashamed. And we hid from you. When the Bible talks about nakedness, it's talking about sinfulness. Talking about lostness. Blindness. Sin blinds the eye, doesn't it? Sin distorts reality. We all need a reality check. This church really did. We all do. Because sin distorts the vision. It blinds the eye. In fact, the word you used here, Wayne, is kind of like a distortion. You remember I stick my face in that machine you got? And you say, is it clear here? Is it clear here? Is it clear here? You know, we go back and forth. It seems like ages until, okay? Well, you'll click those things, and I can't see the wall and those letters. I've even tried to memorize the letters, you know? Well, that's what the word actually means. It means a distortion. Sin distorts reality. Sin doesn't allow you to see right. They said we can see, and Jesus says, you're blind. Jesus ties their culture 
to spiritual truth. They're destitute, is what Jesus said. They're wretched. They're miserable. They're poor, blind, and naked. And they didn't, here, they didn't even know it, people. I wonder, do you know it today? Do we as a church know it? Does our community know it? They didn't have a clue. And Jesus bored right through their hearts. Well, last question, and I'm through. Look at verse 19 and 20. Why does Jesus say it? And gang, I love the verses. Remember when Jesus described himself at the beginning of the letter. He let them know from the very beginning, very clear terms, that he was the beginning and the end. He was the amen. He was the faithful and true witness. He was the source of all creation. In other words, he wanted them to know, I'm your source. And I have all the resources that you'll ever need. Okay? They thought they had it all, everything. Wealth, health, those favorite terms that are bantered about all across our churches in our TV evangelism today. Wealth and health. They thought their felt needs were all being met. But oh dear people, they were false needs. For you see, health and wealth can never meet the deepest needs of the soul. Felt needs are surface needs, not spiritual needs. And if all you can't, and, and back, let me back up, it's not that we shouldn't help meet those surface needs. We regularly give food to people. We regularly try to help people that come by. This morning we did that. We, we should do that. There's an aspect of the gospel that we call the social gospel where we try to help the needs. Some of you have helped others that are needs socially. You've given money or food or clothing or gone to the houses and, and, and met needs. We should not, not do that. But we need to recognize that the greatest need in the life of a person is not something that's surface. It is something that's deeply spiritual. You see, the problem with being social gospel totally is that it pushes God in the spiritual need of the soul right out. And lukewarmness and indifference sets it. Let me ask you a question. What do people really need today? Clothes to wear? Food to eat? Or the gospel of Jesus Christ that seals their eternity and keeps them from a devil's hell and keeps them into the presence of the living God? Well, we would all say it's the gospel. Not that we should minimize the food or the clothing, but we would stand and say, this world needs Jesus Christ. This world needs He who died upon the cross and shed His blood for sin more than anything else. And the church missed it. God forbid if we should ever miss it. So here's why Jesus says what He says. Look at verse 19. To those whom I love, I reprove and discipline be zealous and repent. You know what that's called, gang? That's called daddy love. That's called relationship. That's a daddy, Abba Father, doing what Abba Father is supposed to do to those he loves. It's a daddy who may not want to say no, willing to discipline himself to say no to his child because he knows that if he doesn't say no, that child's going to have problems. I don't. I don't like to say no to my kids any more than you do, or when they were growing up. I do now. I love it now. I certainly don't like to say no to my grandkids, see? But I know that I can't let my grandkids do certain things, even though they might want to, because it would be harmful to them. Daddies don't do that kind of stuff. Daddy here says, those I love, I correct. I reprove for one reason only that they'll fall on their face humbly before me and repent and turn and go another direction. That's why I believe this is a bona fide church. It's called daddy love. It's called a relationship. And then verse 20, which is a great verse, gang. We use it in evangelism. It's actually more toward the church. You can use it in evangelism, but it's better to use it 
in the church, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in, and I'll have a wonderful meal of fellowship with him. And that's called fellowship. Now, let me tell you what the church desperately needs there and here. We need Jesus on the inside of the door, don't we? Not on the outside of the door. It's on the inside of the door that real, true fellowship takes place. Well, let me close with a silly little illustration. Several months ago, we were having a staff meeting. And in our staff meeting, our, your staff began to lament, you know, about how hard it was to get workers. Lisa's needing 50 people right now for the fall. Hello, Jesus. You know, Mark needs, I don't know how many. Uh, Don needs, you know. So we, the staff was lament. I was just taking it in. They were lamenting. It was kind of like a funeral dirge, you know. I gotta have people. I don't have any leaders. And I they were getting me depressed. As they were talking about, my thought was, I'll be glad when hunting season gets here so I can go kill something, you know. And in the course of it, what came out was something you and I have grown up with if you grew up in church. Remember, we're a volunteer organization. You ever heard that? Hello? Well, let me tell you, a couple days later I was out in the yard mowing the yard, thinking about that depressing moment in my life. When all, everything, I was almost about to say all hell was going to break loose, but I guess I shouldn't say that on Sunday. Everything was falling apart, you know. And I was just thinking, oh, gee, what are we going to do? We're a volunteer group. And I hit me, volunteer? Volunteer? Where did that come from? Who dreamed, what gray-headed preacher dreamed that up? Can you imagine the apostles of Jesus Christ coming up to Jesus one dusty, dry day? Saying to Jesus, hey, Jesus, you know, Rabbi, remember, we're just a volunteer organization. Huh? Okay, let me tell you, this isn't a volunteer organization. This is life. They gave their life to Christ. Radically did he change their life. Four guys gave up fishing. Hello, Jesus. Four of them turned their back on fishing. One guy turned his back on politics. Man, he was raking in the bucks. He had a health care system that he was different from all the rest, you know. He didn't have to live under that health care. He had his own. I mean, he could work four years and retire full benefit. And he walked away. Why? Because it was volunteer? No. Jesus was their life. It changed the way they thought about life. Changed the way they acted toward life. And beloved, all for, but, all, but for one of them, it changed the way they died. You see, there's nothing volunteer at all about following Jesus. It's life. Or it's nothing at all. They understood it. Laodicea didn't get it. Do we? Do you? Do you understand? It's Jesus. Or it's nothing. Let's bow together, okay? We've got a couple that are going to be baptized. They're going to get ready. Stu's going to come. We're going to have a time of response. Gang, I, I don't expect everybody to flood down here. That's your business. I, I don't... I don't, what you do in these next few moments is between you and God, and you'll be accountable for that, okay? But I do want to challenge you to think about where Jesus is in this. And I do want to remind you, lukewarmness doesn't cut it. It doesn't cut it to Jesus. It might cut it, I guess, in our culture maybe. It shouldn't. Because you see, Jesus gets ready to spit it out. And so I guess my, my call to you is, does it matter to you? Let me pray and then we'll stand. Father, I pray for these dear people. Perhaps they had an ear today to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.
Our staff will be here for you if you want to come pray. If you have a decision, maybe you realize Christ needs to live in your life. Maybe you want to join whatever God says. I want to challenge you to come be obedient this morning. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me. get ready for baptism. Don and Mark will be here. If you have some business, we want you to come. But while I'm getting ready, why don't we take this moment in quiet stillness to explore our heart, maybe to come and kneel and say, God, man, I don't want to be a Laodicean Christian. Maybe you just need to come and pour your heart out. Say, man, I've let it become tepid, lukewarm. I don't like that you don't either. So I commit and then I'll two precious folks, adults, which is exciting, who have committed their heart and life to the Lord Jesus. The Bible tells us that after a person trusts Christ, the first step of obedience is to identify with him through believer's baptism, which is immersion, buried in the depths, raised to walk. 
in newness of life with Christ Jesus our Lord. Have you been baptized? Have you? Or maybe God's pulling on your heart. Rejoice with me as these combinations. This is Ashley Vaughn. Ashley, because you've asked the Lord Jesus to come in your heart, forgive your sin and save your soul, baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Zach Barnes. Zach, because you've asked the Lord Jesus to come in your heart, forgive your sin and save your soul, I baptize you, baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, amen. We're going to have, uh, in August, another baptism. We should have eight to ten. If you've been thinking about it, considering it, you let us know and we'll talk to you about it, okay? Let me remind you in closing, uh, I've kind of said it in my sermon, Don's mentioned it to you, we have a tremendous amount of opportunities to serve the Lord Jesus. You may say, well, I'm not a teacher. Well, we need crowd control. Uh, I'm not this or I'm not that. Well, you're somebody. Uh, it's better you taking care of those kids and making them behave than us calling the police after them, okay? <laughs> So we'd love to have you serve, okay? Well, uh, Don, I guess we're through. God bless you guys. Let's stand, and we'll have some ushers at the back to say goodbye to you. Hope you have a great week in the Lord. See you next week.